Chuck here, and welcome to episode 19 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. And to achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the, correct, the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. <laughs> I stumbled over that. Say that five times fast, right? We have a very crafty episode planned for today, maybe. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part, we have nothing but old questions, because as you may know, last episode we ran out of time and didn't get to several of them. That includes the one on fracking, the one on taxes, I'm talking about taxes again, and more about medical freedom. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is heavily environmental with overtones of political and cultural. We have master plumber Mark Bazzacco. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Crawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant, Rangers. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes in through our mailbag. Get out your number two pencils again, because today we have with, it, with us another member of the Educational Testing Service Toastmasters, and coincidentally, my former project manager, Donna Herb. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Donna. I can. Let me ask, what do you like about being a Toastmaster? Huh. Well, that's a good question, because you just sprung that on me at the last minute. So <laughs> We Toastmasters practice that. That is, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things that I like about Toastmasters, the table topics, as we call them. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a chance to think on your feet and be able to express yourself eloquently. Mm -hmm. And through the preparations that we have through our regular speeches and all of the training that we have, that helps us to be able to speak on our feet as well. Or speak on a radio show. Or on a radio <laughs> show at the last minute. At the Thank last you very minute. much. You're welcome. No, I just like to show off our Toastmasters. They're all great. So let's dig into that mailbag. Remember, our mission is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. So what have we got, Donna? Well, Ken, our first question comes from Nick Mick, and I hope that's correct. It could have been Mike, but I think it's M-I-K Mick. And he's from East Fredericton, Pennsylvania. And he actually has two questions for you. First, he'd like your views on fracking and drilling. And the second question is views on our current state taxation laws, including income tax. Okay. Well, let's do the taxes part first, because I'm a libertarian. I do not care for taxes. It's never the first solution. And I know it's a repeat. I talked about taxes in Episode 7, Episode 10, 14, 17, and here it is again, episode 19, we're still talking taxes. And Nick, the short answer is that no, I don't support any sort of tax, income tax or any of, any of those other ones. In fact, I lean in the opposite direction because taxes are already too high. 
The reason why they're so high is because spending is too high. In fact, the cost of Pennsylvania's government has been rising on average at more than three times the rate of inflation for over 50 years. In 1964, Harrisburg took an average of $100 per person, but today you know what it is? Over $2,500 per person and growing. 50 years. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat in office or a Republican. That direction is always up, up, up. Taxes are one of the big reasons I ran for governor three times so far. Because when I'm elected governor, that trend will end. I promise to veto every single tax increase across my desk and aggressively use the line item veto to eliminate unconstitutional spending, pork barrel spending, special interest spending, all of those. If you're looking for sustained revenue, the best way to achieve that is through a booming economy. Tax cuts always spur the economy. And I would spur Pennsylvania's economy like never before. I'm looking forward to that. The last thing we, we want to do is damage the ecology, the economy, with higher taxes. I'm getting ahead of myself. Taxes are also highly immoral. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Think of it this way. If I, Donna, if I took your wallet, I'd be a thief. That's right. If Mark and I got together and took your wallet, we'd both be thieves. If everybody here at the station voted to take your wallet, we'd all be thieves. But somehow, when it becomes Balakinwood or Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or America, it became, it became okay. We crossed a line somewhere there. See, governments only have the authority that we give to it. We don't have the authority to steal. So plain and simple, taxation is theft, which is one of the reasons I would like to reduce it as much as possible. Which gives me a great segue into your other question, the ecological part, not the economic part, the fracking industry. Well, it's obvious I oppose any sort of taxation on frackers. I'm not a thief. You know, Pennsylvania has more natural gas than all Saudi Arabia has oil. I read that statistic. I couldn't believe it. But it's been repeated too many times. It has to be true now, right? Our state is key to guaranteeing the energy and independence of America. We're actually helping head off another blood for oil war like we seem to have too many of. So would I stand in the way of any of that? No, no way. So I'm not looking at doing anything, any kind of taxation on the frackers or an extraction tax. There's a lot more I could say about it, but you know, we're planning on having an environmental expert as a guest on an upcoming show. I guess it's going to be somewhere around episode 25. I don't have the exact number in front of me. And he's an expert. So I'm going to save the details of fracking for when he gets here. But for now, let me just say my degree is in physics. So I have some kind of appreciation for the science behind it. And I have been able to knowledgeably weigh some of the evidence, or a lot of the evidence, actually. And all that said, in my opinion, fracking is not nearly as dangerous as it's made out to be. For example, that discredited documentary Gas Gasland, where the gas tax, listen to me. Gasland, where they set the tap water on fire. That's been discredited. So let's just leave at that for now and save this for a future guest. Well, Ken, <clears throat> our next question comes from Crystal Hunsicker from Jonestown, Pennsylvania. And she's a founder member at Pennsylvania Medical Freedom Alliance. Mm -hmm. And she says... Hi, Ken. I'm wondering what your stance on medical freedom is. Specifically, 
on vaccine exemptions, Paul's Law, and Right to Try. Thank you. Well, thank you, Crystal, and my apologies, because this is actually a leftover question from episode 18, where I went on and on and on about vaccines and on and about the right to try laws, and I didn't leave myself enough time to get to Paul's law. Vaccine exemptions, right to try, they were easy enough to do, even though I went on and on about it. I'm not going to go into all the detail again. If you'd like to catch it all, it's on my rant at the end of episode 18. And you could hear all the nuance and all the cute phraseology. But I can sum up where I stand on medical freedom, on vaccine exemptions, and right to try. As a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. That's it. That's what it means to be a libertarian. It's the golden rule on a political level. So if you want to try a vaccine, fine. If you don't want to try a vaccine, fine. Your life your way. But you may end up paying for that decision. So it may not just be your life your way. It could end up your death your way. And the same thing, ditto for the right to try. If you want to try some unorthodox procedure or some untried medicine, fine. If not, fine. Again, it's your life your way and maybe your death your way. It's not my choice. Not at all. Regardless of vaccines, right to try, or anything you do to yourself, anything at all, it should always, always be your choice, never the government's. Easy enough. That's why I like being a libertarian. The answers are easy. Your life, your way. But what about Paul's law? I mean, I hadn't heard of it until uh, probably maybe six months ago. In brief, it's a law against denying an organ transplant for quote-unquote low-benefit patients. A low-benefit patient. It was originally targeted at saving an autistic kid, hence the name of the Paul's Law. The guy's name was Paul. And the, the doctor refused to do the transplant, saying he's a low-benefit patient. Hmm. This is another great example of solving the problem correctly but not solving the correct problem. Guys, ask yourself, is it correct to provide transplants regardless of autism or other phys physical disability? Of course it is. So why then do we need a Paul's Law? How has this become a problem to be solved? And by the way, it's, they're talking about extending Paul's Law to cover anybody who is covered with the Americans with Disabilities Act. But why do we need this? Why is this a problem to be solved? Why do we need Paul's Law? Well, simple. It's because there's a shortage of transplantable organs. And because of that shortage, certain doctors decide on their own to provide the transplants only to those that they think are the most deserving. Paul's law would take that decision away from the doctors and make that decision a lot more equitable. And I always put quotes around the equitable. It depends on who's being the equality. Some people are more equal than others. But before we pass a law like Paul's law, there's a more fundamental question that we need to ask. More fundamental than who gets what organs question is, why is there a shortage in the first place? Why are we solving the secondary problem? Remember, our motto here at the Pennsylvania Project is to solve the correct problem rather than solving the problem correctly. And Paul's law is a correct solution, no doubt, especially if it's you or a loved one who turns out to be that low-benefit patient. But to my mind, the correct problem to solve is the shortages. And if we solve the shortages, 
That would make any sort of a Paul's law moot. So the question becomes then, why are there shortages? Well, it turns out that shortages are the result of another law. Which law? The law that forbids a free market in organ transplants. There's no free market. That's probably true in medicine in general. But with the organs, they've done all kinds of studies worldwide, and they've shown that establishing a free market in organs eliminates waiting lists entirely. And it's not just studies. Shortages and waiting lists have been eliminated in country after country that has taken that step of freeing their organs. And you can read all over the place, and it's very, very solid, reputable people are saying it. It was in The Economist, The Atlantic. You got Nobel laureates saying it. And no surprise, the Ayn Rand Institute believes that as well. Studies also show that not only do you get the benefits of reducing, eliminating the waiting list, there's a flip side. Because if there's a lack of free markets in organs, well, what do you have? A black market in organs. So just like the war on drugs or the war on abortion, the war on organ freedom is causing more problems than it solves as people turn to unregulated back rooms for their transplants. Unbelievable. Again, what problem do you want to solve? What's the solution here? What's the, best, what's the correct solution? Me, I always, <clears throat> excuse me, I always say the same thing. I want to save as many lives as possible. Does that make sense? So if you want to help Paul or Americans with disabilities, then yes, by all means, support Paul's law. But if you want to help everyone, regardless of disability, and solve the correct problem, by the way, let's get government out of the way. Let's get the law out of the way. Let's support the free market instead, and that will help everyone, not just Paul. Well, on that hopeful note, that should do it for the you portion of the show. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be talking with today's guest, Master Plumber Mark Bizzacco. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster of the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. Does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. 
Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the them portion of episode 19 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned at the top of the show, our guest today is heavily environmental with overtones of the political and cultural. Sounds like I'm describing a wine. (laughs) Our guest today is Mark Pizzacco, master plumber, journeyman steam fitter with For Local 420, He ran his own business for almost 20 years, then joined a union about two years ago. He's recently run for state representative as a libertarian and as Abington Township Commissioner before that. And believe it or not, he told me that he is a self-proclaimed idiot. (laughs) Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Mark. Uh, Thanks for that lovely introduction, Ken. Hey, I don't know. I just call him as I'm told. Is that that how you introduce all your guests? Um, Only the ones who... Well, we had other people, the one who was the self-identified adult consensual sex worker and she had several other words for what she does as as well so i don't know i'm gonna leave it at that but a master plumber what does that mean a master plumber um you know it takes some time to uh learn the skills of a plumber you pass several tests and put in six years of experience and you know, they give you a license and tell you, you know, what you're doing. Only six years. Good grief. Why did you choose plumbing? Um, that's that's a good question. You know, no. I guess I've always, my, my dad's always encouraged me to fix things around the house. He was a dentist, but he uh, he did a lot of his own work on the house. So, you know, I remember uh, replacing a water heater with him when I was like 12 and thought it was really cool that uh-huh. I got to solder and stuff. Yeah, you know, I did that with my dad too. He taught me all of those different industrial arts. And, you know, I'm proud to say I don't know how many pipes I've sweated in all that time. Only one of them has ever leaked. It's, it still leaks too. <laughs> I get a lot of leaks. They're usually the ones I forget to solder though. <laughs> <laughs> Just plug it together and hope for the yeah. best. So, yeah, then I guess... Uh, as I started growing up, I went to high school and everything, and, you know, those uh, one-size-fit-none schools really failed me, and I ended up dropping out when I was 16. Really? Yeah, it just, you know, bounced to a couple different schools. They, you know, it just wasn't for me, the, their style of teaching, cramming stuff down my throat constantly and stuff. So I dropped out, and then I uh, needed to get a job, you know, had to pay bills. Mm-hmm. I had to move out of the house, so uh, I took a job uh, down the street. Um, it was just a little plumbing company. They were looking for an experienced plumber, but I went in there and I said, hey, look, you know, hire me. I'll show you what I can do. So they gave me a, a job for minimum wage. I actually barely got a raise above minimum wage in the four years I was there. Uh-huh. But, uh, man, they taught me so much. My My boss had tons of experience and you know i just absorbed as much knowledge of plumbing as i could while i was there and got my journeyman plumbing license and you know it was only a few years later i got my master's license and started my own business what you mean like you ran it yourself you're a one-man shop um you know i was anywhere from one man to up to eight eight wow um i did all kinds of stuff i 
you know, I wasn't just a plumber. I ended up having almost a full-fledged construction company for a few years, got into fire sprinklers, you know. Wow. Now, do you need any kind of special certifications or anything like that? How do you, you know, you just what, hang out your shingle? Do you, do you need a certain kind of a butt crack or something like that, like all plumbers have? Well, when I when I got my master's license, you know, there's a lot of different master license. You have a Philadelphia mm-hmm. license. You have, uh, when I got mine, we were, the township I was in followed a Boca code. Uh-huh. Now, uh, it's pretty much, I think even Philadelphia has now adapt, adopted the International Plumbing Code. So it's, you know, and there's variations of this code township to township, but... Um, it wasn't that long ago that Pennsylvania, might have been 10 years ago, Pennsylvania adopted the Boca Code. Have they gotten moved beyond that? Is Pennsylvania? Yeah, now we're into the International Plumbing Code. And who sets that? The, the UN? Is there a conspiracy here? Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's... I, I actually... I like the code. I think it's a well-written code. It's, you know, there's a lot of safety and stuff involved in the code is to protect people, um, you know, protect the water supplies, protect um, gases to come into people's houses and stuff. But, you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of all the diff- different localities having their own plumbing divisions to uphold this code and, you know, the whole licensing project process and everything behind the no. code well wait a minute isn't i thought that if the state had its own code that or its own law about any one particular topic the locals can't have their own flavors of them so if you're a pennsylvania guy how can philadelphia tell you you need a, a well, separate they'll, they'll, they'll put their own amendments into the code so it'll be the philadelphia code that minus their amendments follows the international code uh-huh. do you know any of those extra amendments off the top of your head you know, honestly, since I've been out of the trade for a couple of years, now I'm into uh, steam fitter, which is HVAC and stuff. Uh-huh. I haven't really been following that much, but I know for a long time, Philadelphia, um, they it took them a while to get on board with uh, PEX water lines. It took them a while to use PVC and commercial uh, stuff, uh, curb traps, you know, a trap in front of your house that does absolutely nothing but breaks every 15, 20 years. And Traps then, your curb. Yeah, I mean, you know, so there was a lot of really old <coughs> stuff that was written into the Philadelphia Code that they were didn't want to get rid of, you know. And there's other cities like that throughout the country. Pittsburgh used to have their own code for a long time. I'm pretty sure they adopted the International Code. Mm-hmm. So. so you say you're out of practice with keeping up with it? You're not doing that anymore? What did you? Well, when... I don't. I don't feel like paying the money every year to have a master's license. You got to renew that every year. Oh. And when you're when you're current on your master's license, they send you the code updates and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> they must be lots thick, and you don't like to read. Yeah, it's you know five or six pages of updates a year. Oh, not that bad. It's not so. like the it's not like the lawyer that we had on the show. When was it? I forget how long ago it was now. Probably about episode ten or eleven, and he was saying that. They ha- he charges $500 an hour because he's got to keep up on all the changing laws and everything like that. And the guy's making a million dollars a year, right? And even if he spent six months keeping up on all the changing of the laws, he's still making a half million dollars a year. But you know, plumbers are famous for overcharging, $100 an hour, $200 an hour. Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's overcharging. I mean, I guess um, you wouldn't. You're, you're the plumber. <laughs> well, you know, the reason the pl- there's a lot of reasons the plumbing industry is so expensive, and a lot 
very little of that actually has to do with the plumbers. A lot of that has to do with uh, state and federal regulations and guidelines and stuff. Um, you know, so if I, if I go out and I work eight hours at $125 an hour, I'm going home and putting in another four or five hours just to organize my paperwork so when the IRS comes mm-hmm. knocking on my door, they know, you know. They know which how much money I made at. and make sure I gave them a, a big enough cut of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've been running my own corporation now since the 80s, and I know exactly what you mean. It's so. a pain, absolute pain. And there's a lot of accounting, bookkeeping, stuff like that. Yeah. Like you, know, a, you get into employees, and it gets crazy. I know, and 941 taxes, unemployment taxes. And then there's that erroneous letter. I remember it was probably a year after I incorporated I got a letter from the IRS saying, you owe $64,000. I was like, what? Yeah. Well, lawyers, too, you mentioned lawyers. They're lucky because, you know, they basically work out of their office or they go to the courtroom. You know, plumbers, we got to show up at every single person's house. Mm-hmm. we got to get there with our vehicles and, you know. House calls. Yeah, and then, I mean, the state makes us register our vehicles twice a year, paint dot numbers on the side of the vehicles. I mean, there's all kinds of regulations just on a commercial vehicle with the state. Mm-hmm. They cost us money, time, compliance. If you don't do it right, you get fined. You know, you lose your mm-hmm. truck for a day or two. Yep. So, and that way you, you can't do your house calls anymore. <clears throat> so, yeah, so a lawyer just sits in his office, waits for people to come to him every now and then. He'll take the train down to the courthouse and make mm-hmm. a day out of that. So, Wow. So you shut down the business. You had enough of that? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was just a headache. I mean, it was it was a nonstop headache. I mean, you know, to, just to – I know you don't really discuss federal matters, but, you know, the amount of money when you have employees – and it's hard to work by yourself having a plumbing company. There's a lot of, lot of two-man jobs and stuff, so you always need at least one employee. So that one employee kills you because you're you're paying all those – all the federal taxes and stuff, you know, you got the Medicare, the Social Security, you got accountants that you got to pay for, you got bookkeeping you're either going to do yourself or pay somebody to do. And this is all just for one employee. Yep. You know, so it, it, it became quite a headache. Um, but I guess the real reason I decided to give it all up, you know, because I love doing it. It's fun. You walk around, you're the hero. You, <laughs> people call you in the middle of the night like, oh, my heat's not working. Uh, I'll go over to give me three hundred dollars. I'll fix it for you, and you know you'll thank me up and down for it. You know, so you know, a buddy of mine used to deliver flowers. He was a florist delivery, and he loved it because everybody was overjoyed to see him. He'd yeah. show up on the, the doorstep, and they just smile at him. Yeah, people were always happy to see me. But yeah, you know, you know what really got me out of doing, working for myself was the healthcare. Really? Yeah. What, when, when the affordable, you get sick a lot. No, I don't even use healthcare. I haven't been to a doctor in I don't know how long, but, you know, you got to have it in case something happens to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And when, you know, the Affordable Care Act went into place, you know, the rates just went through the roof. Oh, man, and, and I did a rant about that, and I could look up exactly when it was going to be. Here we go. It, we had a guest here. It was on Episode 5, and we went on about the damage that Obamacare did to us. And my rates, they were steady. I, I've been getting my own private, insur- private insurance since the late 80s when I incorporated. And it always stayed around the same, about three, $400. And then Obamacare came in and went to six, eight, thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen, seventeen hundred, just like yeah. within a couple of years. Yeah, I was in the same boat. And then I was like, all right, I'll just get rid of the insurance. 
they were going to fine me thousands of dollars a year to not have not have health insurance. <laughs> Leave it to government, right? Yeah. I mean, the first year wasn't bad. The first fine I got was like $600. I'm like, okay, I'll pay that to not have insurance. It's better than paying <laughs> ten, twelve thousand to have it, you know? Yeah. But, you know, then I got married, and then the rates got even higher, you know? And I was like, my wife has to have health insurance. Yeah. And by the way, there is an answer to that Obamacare. They're called health share organizations. Pennsylvania has them, and I talked about it at the beginning of episode 15, if you want to catch some of the details, health share. They are back down. The premium levels are back what they were 20 years ago. So you can get around Obamacare if you had to, but I guess you didn't know about it. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, you got so much paperwork running your own business and trying to sort out all these <laughs> workers' comp and unemployment and, uh-huh. you know, all that stuff, like, health insurance you just call a guy and say hey what can you do for me yeah you know i was a guest on irv homer's show irv homer was the libertarian on wwdb before me and the the very same question came up and you know let me let me not mention that We'll, we'll just let that pass because i'm looking at the clock here we are going to take a break where my guest today is master plumber mark bazacco i'm your caster ken crawchuk and you're listening to the pennsylvania project we'll be right back after this information thinking about getting your first tattoo maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 767, sorry, 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Wearily to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steven is an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steven will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stevenwherley.com. That's Steven with a V. W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. 
866-383-6899. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial. Helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. The Green Party of Pennsylvania are grassroots activists, environmentalists, advocates for social justice, nonviolent regist- resistors, and regular citizens who have had enough of corporate-dominated politics. Their goals are to promote green values by organizing communities, guiding legislation, providing viable new political options, and making government more participatory for all peoples. For more detail, contact the Green Party of Pennsylvania at 717-839-2395 or locate them online at gpofpa.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 19 of the Pennsylvania Project with our guest, Mark Bazzacco, master plumber, journeyman steamfitter, and self-proclaimed something or other. I'm not going to say it again. And he's still here. I, I'm always amazed I don't chase more people away. Now, Mark, beforehand, before the break, we were talking about regulations, about how Philadelphia's got their own, the state has their own, and now we got this international thing. Are we over-regulating? I mean, first of all, it, it, <laughs> he's laughing. First of all, it annoys me that it's not local. You know, <clears throat> we, should, we should be able to have our own local solutions. I mean, you said before it was pretty good. It was all for the safety. Do you believe? Well, that's, that's our code, but there's also a lot of other regulations that come into effect. Um, you know, for instance, before I got into the trade, but right around the time I was getting in, they took toilets and they decided that they were going to mandate how much water you were allowed to use in a toilet so for oh, i remember that since the beginning uh, my, my of time wife sitting here nodding her head she remembers that too yeah since the beginning of time you were allowed to put as much water as you wanted in a toilet as long as it flushed you know mm-hmm. well then you know they came along and said oh wait 3.5 gallons is way too much to flush a toilet every toilet company you're only allowed to sell toilets that use 1.6 gallons that was over 20 years ago, and they still haven't found a way to make a toilet flush with 1.6 gallons of water. <laughs> so, you know, you wonder why you have uh, to flush your toilet twice all the time. Yeah, it's because... Don is over here pushing the handle down twice. You know. So it started with toilets. <clears throat> then they decided they wanted to get involved in shower heads and how much water can come out of a shower head. I spent a lot of my plumbing career ripping the water savers out of shower heads and stuff like that, you know. But... Um, the thing that really makes me mad about a lot of these regulations is they cost the consumer a ton of money. Well, what do you mean? I mean, aren't they saving you money by putting in the flow restrictors and less smaller tanks? Well, you know, one one regulation that really 
I, I, I saw the effects of is sticks you know, in your craw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little while, a little while ago, I was going through a bunch of old paperwork. And I found an invoice from uh, 2001. Installed your standard water heater, 40 gallon gas water heater. I charged 325 dollars to put it in. Okay. So somebody either got an amazing deal or something happened because now you're not going to find a company that's going to put them in for less than like $975. Okay. That's not all inflation. No, it's definitely not inflation. So what happened is, you know, three times in the course that I've been in business, they decided to change, you know, the government decided to mandate how these water heaters work. So first they weren't efficient enough, so they changed the efficiency ratings. And then, you know, all the supply houses put out notice. Water heaters are going up in a few months, you know. Make sure you're aware of the price increases. They don't just go up $20 or $30. They're going up 100 and some dollars wow. every time they put one of these regulations in place. And uh, their energy-efficient regulations were two of them. One was a safety uh, regulation they put in. But there have been three of these increases so the same water heater that I was charging $325 to install cost almost $600 just to buy today. Hmm. You know, and that's not even including all the fittings and valves and parts you need to go along with it. Um, so they do this with everything in the plumbing industry. They do it with faucets. Oh. You know, faucets <laughs> Faucets are only allowed to use so much water, you know. I know. Um, I, I hear that one from my wife. We put in a new bathroom faucet, and it takes forever for the hot water to get up there because it's coming out so yeah, slow. People ask me, what what faucet should I buy? I'm like, they're all garbage. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Oh. Like, I would want to put something good in, but um, <clears throat> another thing that's going to sound crazy, but I was totally against, is they switched all plumbing stuff to lead-free. Uh, well, lead is bad for you. Yeah, but when they went lead-free... Every plumbing thing that used any kind of brass or anything in it went up minimum 150%. And we're talking, you know, some things went up three, 400%. Wow. But it, it did, a, did a few things. It, you know, really raised the, pl- the price of having plumbing work done in your house. That goes directly to the consumer. The other thing it did is, uh, you know, it hurt a lot of supply houses. I know a couple of local supply houses that strictly went out of business because they're sitting on millions of dollars of stock that they're not allowed to sell anymore. Oh, man. <clears throat> and, uh, that, you know. And the big old toilets. But, you know, it, it's feel-good legislation. It cracks me up because it really, you know, I don't know what your little quote you always say is about uh, solving the correct problem. Oh, or, yeah. You know, but this is, this is definitely one of those examples because, you know, if you go on to any of the water distribution sites, like over here we use Aqua or Philadelphia, um, they call it drinking water. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our drinking water is safe. Our drinking water, this. I wouldn't drink that crap. <laughs> I like Philadelphia's water. I grew up on that. Yeah, well, you're nuts. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, they're worried about the lead in the water. I mean, I can give yeah. you a list of stuff that's in your water. You know, you yeah. got fluorides, you got nitrates, you got lead copper chlorine you know all kinds of contaminants from fertilizers and stuff that's all in, that's all in your drinking water that they're sending you yeah but they get rid of most of that i worked for american water for a while and you go, you go oh, right on their website they'll tell you what's in there well that's true they didn't get rid of it they lowered it to, to uh-huh. safe levels I, and you know I, to me there's no safe level of uranium that i'm going to drink <laughs> you know i, I know do you know i, I heard a, a comedian chris rush a number of years ago he was talking about just that very thing about the standards that they set and he said you can have 
0.00045 grams of rat hair in your bologna. It's like, wait a minute. Rat hair's rat hair. I don't want yeah, but it. We're not even talking about rat hair. We're talking about poisons in our water. And people call this drinking water and actually drink it. Like, uh-huh. But it the, part, flavor, the part that character. cracks me up the most is, you, you know, the average person in Pennsylvania, the ad- average household uses three 3,000 gallons of water a month. No. Well, that's what, they're, I will what tr- the average is. I will trust a master plumber to know that. How many households are drinking 3,000 gallons of water? They're probably drinking... That's like 100 gallons a day. They're drinking bottled water these days. Nobody drinks. I'm probably the only yeah. guy left on the planet who drinks tap water. Well, well, no, I drink tap water, but I got really nice tap water at my house. Yeah? Why? Where do you get it from? I'm an aqua shareholder, by the way. I should all total disclosure well, here. Well, first of all, this, this drinking water they're sending to your house that they're trying to make extremely safe, but they have to put poisons in it to, <laughs> to make sure that no bacteria grows and stuff, uh-huh. that they're spending trillions of dollars as an industry passing it on to the consumers we're only drinking like three percent of what actually comes into our house if we're drinking it at all yeah you know? like you're probably using it for showers yeah it's going down your drains Toilets. you're watering your plants you're, with it you're filling your swimming pool with it your 1.6 gallon to- toilet that you're flushing two three times yeah so i mean the easy solution is have a designated faucet for water you're going to drink and then you can filter it uh-huh. Just a simple carbon filter. You can buy a pitcher for $20 that takes a carbon filter, and you can buy six refills for another $20 and have very – it takes out 99.9% of the impurities out of the water. You can do reverse osmosis. You spend $200 and maybe another 300 to have it installed, and that will strip it down to pure water, you know. I mean – Interesting. So, I don't know any of this. I'm an IT guy. I, I know computers. I don't know. But why are we why are we treating all this water that's coming into the house if we're only using maybe drinking at very uh, conservative numbers, probably drinking less than three percent of it? I think it's going to be a lot less than three percent because, like I said, everybody's walking around with bottles of water these days. In fact, we got them all over the table here in front of but us. But they've taken the whole plumbing industry and and. I mean, literally, plumbers' rates have doubled and tripled since they took the lead out of uh, plumbing, you know? Get the lead out. Yeah, because brass is made with lead. So now you don't buy brass faucets anymore. You know, I, I work... I do. I just replaced one in my bathroom. I got a, We got our bathroom done, geez, 25 years that, ago. That ain't real brass. It's just the same color as brass. Is it? It says brass. Yeah. Well, there's no lead in it, so... Oh, uh, that's right. It's not going to be... Um. It's faux brass. I, I, I had my business, a lot of my work was in Elkins Park. I worked on 180 to 120-year-old houses. Mm-hmm. And there were original faucets in those houses. Hmm. And, you know, tons of them. Most of the houses had, like, the original bath diverters made out of brass. They worked great. And these people are dying of lead poisoning? <laughs> they, have, <laughs> they have lead water services coming into their house and brass plumbing going to all their fixtures. I mean, you know. Uh-huh. So... Isn't that what killed ancient Rome? Lead pipes, they well, say. Yeah, they got to stop drinking it. Filter it. We, we have this simple solution. Uh-huh. You know, or you could just spend the money on bottled What do you get? A case of bottled water costs three bucks? Yeah, no, I don't drink bottled water. It just goes against my grain. Yeah, I don't want to throw all the bottles away, I mean, especially yeah. when I can just use a filter. But Yeah, then you got all the recycling and that comes back. Mark, we're running low on time here. Is there something that uh, we haven't touched upon yet? Like we mentioned the $100 an hour and the butt crack and everything. Well, there's 100 things I can get into, but I really want to talk a little bit about um, unions. And, and, you know, because I've always, you know, my my business was always non-union. And I always had this negative look on unions and stuff. But, you know, since joining, it's 
very impressive what these private unions do. And notice the word private because I'm not, you know, the public unions are, are forced with taxpayer money, but these private unions are private contracts with companies. And uh, my union provides incredible training for what we do. We work on all the large buildings in the city and everything. So that training is just invaluable. And you can get it all for free. Nice. Through apprentice programs with the unions. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's listening that doesn't know what they want to do for a career and doesn't want to fork out $100,000 for college, you can sign up for a union. They'll train you for free. You'll be the best trained in that trade. And uh, Wow. You know, this fits in what we were talking about education on a couple of previous shows about apprentice programs to make it a lot easier. What did we talk about it? Episode one, as were our guest. Episode three, in the mail. Episode seven, episode t- eleven, on the mail. Yeah, apprentice programs are the way to go if you don't want to rack up a bunch of student debt. Yeah, you'd be making six figures and get free education. Yep. Well, Mark, that's a good point to end on. I'd like to say thank you for being on the show. This is going to wrap it up for the them portion of the show. We had as our guest today, Master Plumber Mark Bazzacco. Thank you for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, we're going to come to my favorite part of the show. I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Rangers. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Donna, how's it going? Eh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job. But I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So? What about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Yeah, and you sound like Mark Bazzacco, too. (coughs) Well, what you need is Amendment 16. It's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. (laughs) And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Well, that sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. Awesome. You've been a registered libertarian for years. Voted for libertarians even longer and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now, it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future 
is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 19 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant for a little bit about something that really sticks in my craw. My topic today is rangers. Yep, rangers. Those guys and gals with the Smokey the Bear hats. No, not all of them stick in my craw, mind you. There's only a certain mindset of ranger that sticks in my craw. It's probably my own fault, in a way, because you see, my wife and I were real outdoorsy people, you know? In fact, she and I met on a camping trip, Watkins Glen State Park, to be precise. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be heading up there this weekend to go camping. Then we'll be camping at the Philly Folk Fest the weekend after that, then Sizerville State Park the weekend after that. And last weekend I did an overnight camping trip, whitewater canoeing on the Upper Schuylkill. Like I said, we're real outdoorsy types. Since we're out in the wild so often, you know, it's no surprise that we keep running into a lot of rangers. And as I said, not all of them stick in my craw. Some do fabulous jobs, while others, well... Well, you know, before I get into details, detailed stories, let's just define our terms. What's a ranger? They can fill any kind of a broad range of positions, pardon the pun, like a park ranger watching over our state parks, local parks, a a game warden caring for our fine game lands, Pennsylvania's great game lands, a loan arranger that you run into at the bank. No, I'm kidding. Sorry about that. Fire wardens, law enforcement rangers, all sorts of rangers, and over the years I have met them all. They serve a noble purpose, our rangers. They're protectors of the land, caretakers of wildlife. They keep yahoos from messing things up. But you know, despite that higher calling, most of my encounters weren't exactly that pleasant. And I'm not really a yahoo, at least I don't think so. For example, I've run into a lot of sneaky rangers that tiptoe around the campground late at night without a flashlight. I can't tell you how many times we've been sitting around the fire and all of a sudden, a ranger would materialize out of the darkness and shine a flashlight all over, shine in your eyes, and he's looking around for contraband. And of course, the most common contraband is alcohol. Certainly in Pennsylvania state parks, it's always prohibited. Lots of other state parks, too. I guess prohibition is still alive and well out in the forest. Well, the wife and I, we like our adult beverages. My parents did. My, our kids do. So we always had to stay one step ahead of the rangers like drinking our wine out of coffee mugs or burying our beer kegs in the ground, which keeps them cold, too, by the way. We had to hide them because whenever you see the ranger coming, you can't just yell, hide the beers, hide the beers. A lady I worked with used to call them reebs. So when the ranger showed up, she'd say, hide the reebs, hide the reebs. But yeah, at least it makes it obvious she's still trying to hide something. So our family came up with a code phrase that you can yell and not sound at all suspicious. Something had nothing to do with rangers or hiding or reebs. If we saw a ranger coming, we'd yell, But I don't like spaghetti! And everybody would know what's happening. It's pretty clever. I thought it was, anyway. But even so, you can still get hassled for alcohol, even if you don't have any alcohol. I remember a time we were up at a Montgomery County Park, and the ranger went rifling through the trash cans and found an empty beer can and then evicted the family at the closest table. They protested, of course. They said, it's not ours, not ours. And Ranger didn't care. Evicted, you gotta go. Truth. So it goes to show, despite your best efforts, no matter how innocent or guilty you may be, every too often the Ranger's gonna catch you. 
But this is where my baby brother comes in. For some reason, he never gets into trouble with rangers. So we like to use him as a diversion. So whenever we see the rangers coming, we send him out to talk to them while we go hide the reebs. There was one time he was so successful in diverting it that the ranger never noticed the Alaskan husky sleeping just outside the circle of the firelight, not far from the no dogs allowed sign. You know, a lot of our difficulties with the, with the rangers must have rubbed off on the kids because when they see a ranger coming, when they were small, they didn't quite hear us say ranger. They heard we were saying stranger. And all they could think of was stranger danger. <laughs> but to them, it was ranger danger. Always <laughs> truth, but they're grown up. And there were other times, so many times we would get into trouble with rangers, not just camping. There was one time we were canoeing at the Wissahickon Creek in Montgomery County. Beautiful place. Nice white water, gorgeous scenery. We're coming up on a dam, about three feet high, not a big one. Water rushing over the top. Not something a novice should try, but we're pretty good. We thought we'd give it a shot when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this ranger. Hello, boys. I want to see two U.S. Coast Guard-approved personal flotation devices. Well, we had to hold him up. He smiled and left, and we got washed over the dam and sank. Thank you, sir. Let's take a step back. Did you notice what two things that all these incidents have in common? Number one, it was always a bunch of friends having a good time in the great outdoors, not bothering anyone. Number two, it was always the ranger taking ex exception. You could say they're just there to f enforce the rules, but is that really their purpose? You know, I don't know. In no case were we harming others or interfering with the enjoyment of others or anything like that. Not one. But you know, I have to apologize. I don't want to paint all rangers as being bad or counterproductive because I probably had 10 times as many encounters with rangers that were pleasant. And a lot of times they'll interpret the rules in a lot more present, pleasant way. Regardless, there are times that they'll sit around and sing songs around the campfire about rangers along with the stubby index finger song. And a lot of those songs aren't necessarily complimentary. I'm looking at the clock here, and I see we have enough time left for our Toastmaster narrator, Donna Herb, to sing one of those campfire songs for us. It was composed many years ago by one of our listeners, Bernie McCann, and it's sung to the tune of Hall & Oates' 80s hit, Maneater. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Donna Herb. Whoa, here he comes. Watch out, boy, he'll chew you out. Whoa, here he comes. He's the park ranger. He only comes out at night, hassling every sight. Better hide the bruise. He has seen us here before. Now what's the matter? He's talking to you about your bottle of Tullamore. Everybody, whoa, here he comes. Watch out, boy, he'll chew you out. Whoa, here he comes. He's the park ranger. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Bernie McCann. He did that back in the 80s, a long, long time ago. And, and there are just so many other cases. One of my favorites. This happened to us. This is completely unrelated to alcohol or anything like that. 
We're camped at San Simeon State Park in California, right on the coast. You know, campgrounds usually have fire rings around them for your fire. But instead, San Simeon had these four-foot-tall cement sewer pipes. <laughs> and laughably, there was a grill on top of it, right? Think of the fire it would take to be able to cook something on top of that fireplace. I mean, it was just like, it was outlandish, outrageous. If you had a regular fire in there, you couldn't, you couldn't possibly see it because it would be all the way down the bottom. You'd have to stick your head over the, the sewer pipe, smoke in your eyes. Good grief. Well, I had an idea to get around that. I built our fire on top of the grill, four feet off the ground, warm, bright, friendly, safe, but not according to the ranger who snuck up on us. Is that fire out of the fireplace, he yelled. (laughs) Oh, man, cut me a break. Where's my brother when we needed him? (laughs) On that somewhat humorous note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 19 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there, too, as well as iTunes and all popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator, educational testing service Toastmaster Donna Herb, yay Donna, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and ask not what's more important than solving the problem correctly, it's solving the correct problem.